0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Private Practice with Soul podcast. This is the first podcast for counsellors that just don't align with the traditional approaches to business and that want to use their spiritual gifts, talents and interests to create, you guessed it, a private practice with soul. So look, leave it to me to provide you with everything you need, including strategies that you can use to increase your income, reduce your workload and of course increase inquiry and referrals to your beautiful soul-led private practice. I love it so much. If you haven't done it already, grab your journal, grab your pen and let's begin. hi welcome to another episode thank you so much for joining me i hope that you're doing really 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 well little gabe is doing very well he's refusing to have medicine and he's refusing to eat his normal food but he is not refusing sausage rolls and party pies which is very interesting (laughs) little fella okay so for those of you who don't know gabe is my um fur baby he's I think he's 14 now, 13 or 14. Not quite sure because he's a little rescue dog and he's a Maltese. But um, he's my pride and joy. And, yeah, just sort of looking after him, trying to make him feel super special, super loved, super comfortable. So he's getting to do, like, all the things he's not normally allowed to do, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and he seems to be loving it, which is awesome. <laughs> so... Today, I want to talk with you about something that I realized last night. Well, you know what? I realized it a long time ago. I guess maybe I appreciated it and I really allowed myself to lean into it last night. And I thought, uh, yeah, I had to share this with you. So, as you know, um, in my 30s, I'd been married for I think 14 years. And Then I um, left my husband and I decided I was going to travel. So I had been that... Good girl, you know, prior to that. I'd done all the right things, um, you know, <laughs> I got the education, I got the good job, I got the degrees. I, I did, I ticked all the boxes, right? And then anyway, I had a little bit of a very early midlife crisis kind of thinking there must be more to life than this. Um, anyway, so I had never, ever, ever, ever travelled because I'd always been looking after people, you see. Um, whether it was looking after mum or looking after my husband or looking after my five younger siblings (laughs) and some of my nieces and nephews too. So anyway, I got to this point and I was like, no, there's got to be more. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I was like, no, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. I just know that there's got to be more. And I had this, I couldn't, it was like more than a niggle. It was like the universe shouting at me that there was more. And so, yeah, I ended up parting ways with my husband at the time and I traveled and I traveled for the very first time in my life and my very first trip was um, to Paris and I went by myself and I was there for two weeks and I just couldn't believe there was this whole other world out there and that was where I had my first encounter with spirituality from outside of what I knew in Victoria (laughs) or what I'd read in books. And anyway, I had not been intentional about deliberately going to Paris to have a spiritual experience. Um, I wanted to go to Paris because I wanted to travel and everybody seemed to say Paris was the place to go, so that's why I went. I was very, um, yeah, I had no idea about travelling or countries to go to or anything like that I just I booked I got a passport I booked my ticket and I was out um anyway so I had an experience there that I'll tell you about another time but it's important to understand that that happened when I was in my very early 30s and then I spent nearly the next 10 years traveling to all different countries um, in search of spiritual experiences so Paris was kind of the starting point um and looking back I feel like I absolutely took action that was aligned with my soul, and I'm so pleased that I did because had I not, um, I'd probably, you know, never have left Victoria, um, and never have expanded and and be the woman that I am today. And I love who I am today. So. Um, one of the experiences that I want to really share with you, it's so exciting. I decided that I was going to go and work overseas and I got a job. I was invited to work. So, very quick backstory. Um, when I got back from Paris, I was telling um, people that I worked with, uh, you know, how much fun it was, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the ladies there, who I didn't really know very well, said, you know, you can get paid to go and work and travel. And that's how it all started, you see. So that day at lunchtime, I sat down and she sat with me and she was like, yeah, just Google job boards and stuff like that. So that's what I did um, for ESL, teaching English as a second language. And then I thought, well, I've never actually taught it as a second language. So then I um, did a certificate in ESL teaching and then upgraded that to a diploma. And honestly, the whole thing took maybe six weeks. Um, And then I was good to go in my eyes. So anyway, I went onto the job board and I got this job. And well, I had a few job offers by the end of the day for all different places, like um, Vietnam and Honolulu and um, a bath in England even though they know how to speak English but whatever <laughs> so anyway there were all these different places and then um, I started thinking oh who am I going to accept who am I going to accept and then I ended up accepting a position in Dubai and I was really excited about it um, and yeah so I was on my way over there and I went to, where was I going? Oh, I had to go, I had to fly into, no, I'm getting my trips confused. I ended up going to, um, I wanted to go to Morocco. So I went to Morocco. That's where it all started. The first job that I accepted was in Morocco, Marrakesh, um, which I accepted it because who doesn't want to go to Marrakesh, right? (laughs) And... When I was growing up, I really loved Aladdin and I really, really loved um, Arabian Nights, you know, the Thousand and One Tales. And I don't know, it's just always been such a fantasy for me. And so I guess spurred on by the magic and the mystery of going to Morocco, of course, I went there first. And to get to Morocco, I had to take this really long flight and it landed in Casablanca. And then from Casablanca, it went to Marrakesh. And I was staying in a um, a beautiful, beautiful accommodation, a family-owned accommodation, um, right on the edge of the town square, which is called Jima Alphanar. And Jima alfana from memory, translates to Square of the Dead or Village of the Dead. And the reason that it's called that is because um, historically, the so it's like a marketplace like Salamanca, or like Burke Street, or I don't know what it is in Sydney, but um, or Brisbane, sorry, <laughs> but um, it's like a little marketplace and everybody's got a little stall. But um, historically, the allotments in the stall or the space where you could have your little stand was Passed on um, from generation to generation, um, usually through the fathers. So you know the person that you saw doing something, they're selling something there now. It was more likely than not that um, their father and their father and their father's father and their father's father had done the same thing, right? So history. I arrived there, um, sort of twilight, and people were getting set up in the square and I was so tired and uh, I met with the um, people that I was staying with and so they had made sort of upstairs their guest accommodation and it was just for me really and the whole building was made out of I don't know it looked like clay or some kind of packed sand or something like that and it was all painted terracotta color and i had this bed and in the bedroom there was this very narrow little balcony and i can remember just opening up my little doors and standing out on the balcony and it went from you know like sort of daylightish to a bright orange sky to a deep red sky and then The whole square lit up and it just came alive and I was so jet lagged but at the same time I was so excited to be there and so I quickly got dressed and um, I had a little bag with me with, you know, a copy of my passport and some money and all of this sort of stuff and I was by myself. And uh, because I always travel alone, (laughs) and um, I just went out to explore because, well, you know, I have this core essence edge um, that's masculine, and the masculine loves a bit of a risk. And so, yeah, I just went out and I wanted to have the wow factor, I wanted to live on the edge, and um, I wanted to be totally mind blown. I wanted to, I was open to the experience, and I just couldn't wait to dive in. So, I leave the accommodation and you know within a minute or two I'm at the square and it's like pitch black night you can see all those really bright like the sky the stars in the sky in are just so different um or the experience for me was so different and there were camels walking around with people sort of leading them there was um oh so cute not cute but so interesting like I loved it so much it was so exciting for me there was a man there an older man and he had a little card table with a blue tarpaulin over the top of it and um, on his trestle table he had um, like teeth like different (laughs) different human teeth and then he had some different like Um, equipment tools whatever that you get in your mouth like he had braces he had plates he had um, teeth attached to plates all this he had pliers he had everything and people were queuing up to get teeth pulled and he was like an open-air dentist and um it was really interesting, and I was there, and I was just watching this person get his tooth pulled. And it was <laughs> the guy was sitting down on a, um, you know, just one of those cheap fold out plastic chairs, and the open air dentist told him to like spread his legs, and the open air dentist put his foot to brace himself in between the guy's legs on the chair as he yanked back so he could get enough momentum to pull the tooth out. It was like, whoa. But nobody was freaked out about it. Like it was just kind of normal for them. But I was certainly entertained and I was just loving it and I was totally freaked out. Um, And no, I did not get any dental work done in Marrakech. (laughs) And then there were snake charmers. And I'd never seen a snake charmer in real life, but it was like everything I'd imagined as that little girl that I was reading about in the books. There was the seagrass basket, which I know they're very popular now for your pot plants and everything, but um, I hadn't seen one before And they had these seagrass baskets. And, you know, there was, I don't know what you call them, a I don't know if he was, he wasn't playing a flute. It was like a clarinet or something. And he had a turban on and he had the big flowy white robe like you see in the movies. And he was like squatting down and he was playing a tune. And guess what? The little lid on top of the seagrass basket started to move and then a, a cobra comes out and he starts you know moving from side to side and I couldn't believe it and there were these people everywhere like I saw maybe I don't know four snake charmers and it was just uh, the snake was so mesmerized by the music and then they, they after the snake was out they um you know wrapped the snake around them and they were just oh so good to the snakes like they really respected and cherished the snakes and that just made me feel so full of you know respect and admiration and da, 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 da. and then there was um you know a market's not complete without a food stall so there was a food stall there and it was so beautiful because it's lit up, you know, and there was oranges and all different types of um, fruits. And you could go and um, that would make you fresh juices and, and fresh juice sort of mocktails and things like that, that you could drink while you're walking around the market. Um, and then there was another little stand that had some hot food and you could get local food. And I remembered I'd never had escargot and I was like, I'm going to do it. And with the encouragement of some locals, yeah, I was lucky to be invited to sit down with them and um, enjoy some escargot. And that was really, really the experience of being with the locals and the experience of, um, yeah, just joining in with them and seeing what they eat and how they eat it. And oh, it was just amazing. And the smells of the place. So amazing. And then after that, you know, I kept walking around because I wanted to explore. And also in the square, um, I there were gypsies and the, well, the Bedouin gypsies. And they were um, doing palm readings. And I got my palm read in French. And it was so lovely. And there was another French lady and she interpreted everything for me. And then I had some henna, of course, um, put on. So henna is like a brown... Temporary um, tattoo type thing with all different patterns. And so I got a a henna tattoo there on my hand, and I felt very um, touristy doing that, but I loved it. And then there was another place in the square where. They were telling stories. So it was this man and two other men and they were telling stories and they were telling stories in Arabic. And the the crowd was all sort of sitting around on the floor and we were watching them tell stories and kind of act things out at the same time. And there were people in the audience that were translating in English and French. So it was really lovely. Um, and I really love just having a story told to me because i I can't remember the last time someone told me a story and it was, you know, such an amazing experience and to be around families and other people, other tourists and all just sharing this beautiful experience. It was so amazing and of course in the market too you could go there and you could buy all the spices and so uh, it's like you see on the travel documentaries and stuff like that it's just mountains of spices everywhere um and yeah look there were there was lots more that i saw it was just amazing and anyway as i'm exploring i see that around the square um there are some houses and things like that but i also see that there's kind of like another little market so i head over there and the market just kind of goes into a tunnel I later find out that the name of the market is or the Arabic word for a market is souk. It's pronounced S-O-U-K. And uh, anyway, the reason that this souk is in a tunnel is because back in, I don't know, centuries ago, the area or the region was under um, threat. There was a big war going on. And so the locals all built a system of interconnected tunnels, some of which go nowhere and they have dead ends. Um, And it's a big underground labyrinth, a big underground maze. And it's designed specifically to confuse invaders, right? And now, of course, there aren't invaders. And so what's happened is the market has spread into all of the tunnels and I didn't know that Um, so I just walk into the tunnel expecting it's going to be a tunnel and not realizing I'm actually in the middle of a labyrinth Um, the tunnel was um, very well lit it was all sort of that really orange terracotta color Um, there was it was like a domed roof And it had shops, as you walk through, there were um, shops that had been sort of carved into the side of the rocks um, that were making the tunnel. And each shop was quite small, but it would kind of go back a little bit. And each shop was different in size and length and stuff like that. And you could go there and you could get like the curly shoes. You know, there was a cobbler and he was making the shoes that curl and they had the little bell on them and there was somebody else making leather shoes and all this sort of stuff. And it was really just so exciting. And the smell of incense everywhere and the smell of spices and the noise, it was bells, it was bustle, it was jingling, it was laughter, it was just intoxicating, right? Anyway, I wind up... um, pulling off to the side to get to get out of the thick of the crowd because you just kind of get swept along with the crowd because it's such a narrow space um anyway so I stepped off to the side to try and get my bearings and by this stage I was figuring out maybe I'm lost and um Anyway, I turn around and this man calls me into his shop. Now, this man was, I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. He was probably about six foot three, six foot four. He was the tallest man I've ever seen in my life. And he was black and he had the turban on and he had um, very billowy pants. And he had a white shirt that had long sleeves sort of tucked into his pants and, um, he was French and or spoke French and he said, you know, come and sit in my shop, you know. So I went into his shop and honestly, it's left such an impression on me that I will never, ever forget it. So going to his little shop, this tiny, tiny little shop, and he's used every nook and cranny to display things that he sells. And um, it's kind of narrow. I'm sitting down, there's a little, you know, plank of wood. Um, on some bricks and that's kind of what you sit on. So he said, he encouraged me, you know, sit down here for a moment, you know, get your bearings. And opposite me, there were like recessed shelves, if you can imagine this, into the, the stone wall. And they were very narrow shelves. But And they were probably, I don't know, they were like floor to ceiling. And every shelf was jam-packed with mason jars that had different things in them from different colour liquids to some liquids that were glowing or iridescent. Um, There were jars of animals and insects, um, like little critters and insects. There were jars of bones. There were jars of feathers. There was um, jars of different types of coloured chalk Everything. I had no idea where, where on earth I was, but I'm loving it, right? Because I love the risk. <laughs> and I'm like, where am I? <laughs> What's this? And then he reaches behind me, and I see there's a whole wall behind me of similar types of things. And he grabs a jar, and he opens a jar, and um, he's telling me in French, "This is a chameleon," and. Um, Anyway, he puts the chameleon on me and it was so amazing because it actually changed colour. It went to the colour of the clothes that I was wearing and it was so exciting and the chameleon was only a, a very small one. It was like a, a very small lizard and um, – Yeah, so he was trying to talk in English to me and um, he had a very deep voice and he was very serious, but kind of like the voice of Morgan Freeman, like you you kind of want him to narrate a story for you or something like that. And he was very calm. And then he said to me, um, you know, would I like to sit down and join him in some Berber tea? And, uh, you know, it's a dry area, Morocco, meaning that, um, you know, you don't have alcohol and things like that because of other the religion. Um, but there's something called Berber tea, which you can imagine, I'm not going to say. But anyway, so I, I didn't even know what it was. And, of course, I said yes because, as you know, love the risk, Um, I love the adventures. I said yes and um, yeah, he pours his tea and it was such a production because he gets a glass jar and he puts um, a little bit of mint leaves in the bottom and something else, which I don't know. Um, I want to say honey but from memory it was not sweet. Anyway, and then he kind of muddles it a little bit or pummels it a little bit and then he gets like the hot tea and he starts pouring it and he – begins pouring it really close down to the cup or the glass and then he extends his arms so he's like pouring from a height and this is what churns the tea and it makes the the tea have some bubbles on it and anyway it's like a tradition that's how they pour tea it was really fun and then um he's I start asking him about what what's all the things like what are all the bones what are all the colored? you know just for all of this and then he shares with me that he's a black witch and I you know I'd heard the term but I never actually had met one that I know of (laughs) or knew what it was about and I was curious like I wanted to know more about what what that meant and I wanted to know more about the beliefs because I love learning right and I was on this quest because I wanted to learn more about how other people view the world and about other cultures, beliefs and things like that. So I knew in that moment the universe had guided me to this man's store for a reason. So I was really excited to roll with it and find out what I was going to learn. And anyway, um, he didn't want to disclose too much, which that's OK, Um but he did tell me that um he did, he did tell me he didn't use the word spells but he did say that there are rituals and there are things like that that um he does and that in his culture he's very sought after and it's like a profession and we got talking because at that stage I was a psychologist and we were looking at the similarities between psychology and, um, you know, what could psychology is a science. So we were talking about um, the science of this versus the science of, you know, his work, which is the the magic. And um, there were more things in common than there were not, and that was where I first started to learn about. Um, having an appreciation for things really being more alike than they are not in every sense of the word. Um, Even from, you know, counsellors and psychologists, I think they're more alike than they like to admit. But anyway, um, he puts the chameleon back in the jar. Just get back on with my story. Puts the chameleon back in the jar and then uh, a lady comes in for an actual consultation and I had permission to sit in and it was so cool. Like um, she was coming because she had an issue with a family member and she wanted to do a curse and all this sort of stuff. And um, yeah, he had time available. So, and so did she. So they said um, that they were going to go and do the, the curse, if you like. And the, if I wanted to watch, I could, but I couldn't participate, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I sort of, um said yes of course i want to see this and so we went outside out the back and at the back of his shop it was all just like like kind of dirt it had been cleared away dirt he there had been something burning at some point because i could see a lot of ash and charcoal and stuff like that um anyway he got some chalk and he made a circle with the chalk and then he um put some bones in the middle and um did some other things through some herbs and some salt and stuff like that around the outside of the circle and in the circle and um there was some chanting and um stuff like that and i just was like so lost in the moment like i was just loving it anyway so that complete the Um, work that they were doing together she pays him and then she leaves and we start talking again because I wanted to debrief I wanted to understand what was actually going on and then another lady comes in and she was an old lady and she had a walking stick and her back was hunched over and she was a local as well and um she was dressed in um you know the she had a long cloak on and she had the hijab on and everything. And um, she came in and she needed stuff for her own work that she was doing. And outside where I had been sitting and I was waiting for him to come back out and finish our conversation, outside there, there was this great big wardrobe. And the wardrobe, I think, had been painted. Quite a number of times because I could see the original wood or what I thought was the original wood, but I could also see paint had been peeling off, and there was white paint and there was light green paint and all this sort of stuff. And uh, it was a very big, very old wardrobe. And some of the drawers, so it had big cupboards up the top that you could just open the doors for, and then underneath there were maybe, I don't know, six sort of narrower drawers all with these big handles on and a lot of the drawers were sort of pulled open and I could see clearly that there was stuff in them though I didn't I couldn't I was too far away to see what it was anyway so she comes in and she's looking for chicken feet for some kind of curse that she's getting ready to make or something so he helps her pick out you know the right chicken feet from one of these drawers and he's got all different types of claws in there and then it was so cool because he sees her off, he gets the money and says goodbye and everything. And she's very thankful because she's clasping his hands and she's kissing the back of his hand and everything with gratitude. And then she puts the back of her hand of she puts the back of his hand to her forehead. Um, And I asked him, why did she do that? And he says, just a sign of respect in Arabic countries. Um, So that was interesting. And then, yeah, so we sit down and we start talking because I want to unpack what was going on with this ceremony that I just saw him do a few minutes ago. And guess what? Out of nowhere comes this white owl. I kid you not, this white owl just comes. And I'm thinking, where on earth do you even get an owl in Marrakesh? Like, Do owls live in the desert? I don't know. And this owl just comes down and he like intuits that the owl's coming and because he didn't see it as far as I'm aware. It just must have, I don't know, maybe been in his periphery or something. But then um, he puts his hand out and the owl just like, pop just sits on his arm like that. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, so eventually I have to go. You know why? Because, of course, I'm a woman and I need to go to the toilet. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have stayed there. Anyway, so I'm asking him where the bathroom is and he's trying to give me directions, but I'm so overwhelmed by the smells and what I've just seen and what I've just heard. and You could imagine my head was spinning. Like I was loving it, but my head was spinning and I couldn't make head or tail of what was going on. Anyway, I start walking back through the tunnel that I believed I walked down initially because it all starts to look the same after a while. And sure enough, I pull off to the side to get my bearings and have a rest again. And guess what? This time I'm in a completely different shop. But I recognise all of the jars and I recognise all of the things. And so now I'm like really keen to show off my new knowledge to the shop owner, right? so the shop owner's like welcome welcome come in you know take a moment Da 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 just making small talk with me and so then as i said i try to impress him by by saying oh i know what that's for and you use that for that and that for that and that for that and this guy went white um which was saying a lot because again he was black 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 um And he said to me, no, 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 no. That's not what these things are for. He said, where did you learn this? And I said, oh, down one of the tunnels down there. And he goes, no. He says, that's black magic. Black magic's really bad. You don't want to learn anything about that. And then I said, well, but this is the same stuff. And he's like, yeah, but this is white magic. And I was like, okay, you're going to have to tell me what the difference is. So he spoke beautiful English. We had this amazing conversation. I learned all about the differences between black and white magic. Um, And while I was there talking with him, he had a client come in for a consultation. And, again, so interesting that they were both happy for me to be there and, and observe. Um, I loved it. I actually sat through three consultations with him. Um, I lost the feeling to go to the toilet, by the way, because, <laughs> I don't know, I was just so distracted, and I was just loving it. And then after he left, we um, were. I wanted to unpack it and I wanted to debrief. And, again, I'm using the knowledge I've got from my Western education, trying to m- – you know use that as a framework for understanding what's going over here in a whole other different belief system and I'm trying to marry the two together and and you know make links and connections so I can remember it and all of this sort of stuff and um well I uh, one of the things that we discussed was um does it work like I really wanted to know does it work and he said to me yeah it does and you know, when he had some of those consultations, he made a point of asking for feedback, you know, like, you know, we might ask from our clients from a session rating scale or from an outcome rating scale. He was asking his clients, you know, how did the last spell work? How did the last bit of magic work? Did you get the result that you're after? And they all said yes. And he said to me that the people who went and saw the Black Magician would also be saying yes. And it was so interesting because, what I came away from there realising was that it's not the tool that you use that gets you an outcome. It's not the tool. Um, we have people here that were going for you know, total opposite things. They were using the same tool, but they were getting totally different outcomes. So they were using tools of insects and bones and chalks and salts and oils and stuff like that. And so the tool was the same. One was getting results, you know, for maybe not great things and the other was getting results for things that they really wanted like positive things like one of the ladies I sat in on the white magician uh, she wanted um, more help with something with a pregnancy for her daughter her daughter apparently had had a difficult time getting pregnant and so that's why this lady sought out the help of the White Witch in the first place. And then within a few months, apparently, the daughter fell pregnant. And so now she was back. The lady was back because it had worked, and now she wanted to make sure that the pregnancy was going to be healthy and happy and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, what I came away from their understanding was tools have – less importance in manifesting your reality than what you believe right and I was thinking about this last night and I was thinking I was laying in bed and I was thinking about um, private practice and I thought about you know the things that I work on my private clients with and more times than not it's that inner work rather than the strategy um, a lot of them already have the strategies for some reason they think that they're doing something wrong or they think that they need more strategies they blame the strategy but it's or, or they look to a different strategy They think oh i mustn't be doing it right and very rarely is it that they're not doing it right what happens more often than not is their beliefs influence what they experience in their private practice right back from if they believe no one's going to pay for their service then guess what they manifest or they attract people who aren't going to pay for their service if they believe that they are worthy and they charge a certain um, fee for their program or their workshop well guess what people pay that and there's no questions asked and it's just so interesting because It doesn't seem to matter which culture you're from or where in the world you are, whether it's using tools for private practice like your marketing tools and things like that it's really your beliefs that are going to make the big difference i talk about using oracle cards and i do tarot readings for private practice owners to give them insight on their business to give them insight about what's working what's not um, what action steps to take in their business so they've got some guidance they have some mindset work to go away with and a plan um but at the end of the day, you know, those cards are tools. Your marketing plan is a tool. Your crystals are a tool. Your um, EFT is a tool. But we can get clients to the same outcome without reliance on tools. And we can get ourselves to um, outcomes in our private practice Um with less tools and with less emphasis on tools because at the end of the day it's not the tool that's going to determine your private practice success it's what you believe to be true if you believe that this thing's going to happen or that this thing's not going to happen then that's what you're going to see so what i want you to take away from this very long-winded episode (laughs) is that um I want you to look at your private practice objectively and I want you to do a little bit of an assessment on your private practice and ask, you know, where's it doing really well? Where where would you like to also see some improvement? And then I want you to be totally honest with yourself and ask yourself, you know, how am I getting in my own way when it comes to what I believe about this? You know, what am I responsible for manifesting here in my private practice as a result of what I'm believing to be true or what I'm believing to not be true? And I think once you have that awareness, you're going to be well able to process that and then get yourself to a a place that's going to be more expansive for you. Not necessarily so you scale your practice or anything like that, but certainly so that you can unlock the things that have been kept away from you as a result of these unwanted beliefs or these beliefs that aren't working for you anymore. So, yeah, that's what I wanted to share with you today. It was just, you know... Being, I don't know, like I made it happen. I was going to say being fortunate to travel the world in, you know, because I was so curious to find out more about the beliefs of other cultures and societies when it came to spirituality. And I really wanted to apply them to business. Um, I, I want to say that I was fortunate, but I have to be totally honest with you. I made it happen, like I lived to travel. It became um, not an obsession, but it, it, it was just like a calling. Well, not even a calling, it was a pulling. It was like the universe was pulling me to all these different experiences and I never even knew, like I just allowed myself to be pulled along. Like who thinks, oh yeah, I'll just go work in Marrakesh? Nobody thinks that, but because my... I just – I can feel it. Like even as I'm talking to you now, I can feel that pull was so strong in my solar plexus. I just – I feel it even now that that call was so strong. And I went to, I don't know, so many, maybe 30 different countries, um, you know, on a quest because I wanted to – I was – and every country I went to, I got inspired to to think, well, what's the next country going to teach me? What's the, what's the next culture going to teach me? What's the next family going to teach me? What's the next community going to teach me? I went, oh, it just became a thing. I was working to travel to learn more about this stuff. And I put off sharing it for so long because uh, it was considered taboo to talk about it it was considered unprofessional to talk about it um you know people were like you shouldn't talk about that because that's not very scientific or professional Brooklyn and you know you're going to rock the boat here and upset the apple cart and so for the longest time I didn't really share anything like what I've just shared with you now um but eventually you get to a point where There's just a knowing. There's just a knowing and you just know that or this is what it was like for me. I just knew that I'd reached a point where I had to start sharing what I was learning because the more I was learning, the more it was all coming together. See, as you start to learn spirituality through one perspective Um, you get really excited by that right and then you go to another country or another community and you learn something completely different you get really excited by that but by the time you've been to 30 or 40 different communities patterns are starting to emerge trends are starting to emerge in the in the beliefs and um, that's what I want to share with you like I really want you to understand the reason I talk and have built my business on the masculine and the feminine is because It seems to run through so many different parts of the world in terms of culture, communications. I mean, French language, Arabic language, um, German language. You know, there's the masculine and the feminine. Um, It's everywhere. And I just love it so much. And that was what I took away as what I needed to do. I really feel like... This is my purpose and it's just, I couldn't imagine at this point in my life doing anything else. I mean, it might change in five years, who knows, but at the moment I just feel so filled up, lit up, tapped in, um, tuned in and you get results when you integrate masculine and feminine with your private practice and that's what part of this is about today talking to you about sometimes you know don't get too hung up on i need to get the next step i need to know the next strategy i need a different strategy Um, because the strategies are just tools but all those tools are going to get you to the same place and the quickest way to get you to that place is through your Beliefs, and that's through doing the inner work. So, when it comes to your private practice, you know, please attend to your inner work. Please attend to your inner work if you really want to make a go of this. Okay. So, I hope that this was really helpful. I hope it was um, inspiring. I hope it was expansive. Um, Yeah, I will try and share a few more of my experiences from different cultures and communities and how I now integrate those with what I teach you um, and how I use them and apply them in my business as well so that I can create success in, you know, the way that I define it, which for me, success is not really about money like I'm successful if I can pay my bills and look after everyone of course but for me success is fulfillment and when I feel fulfilled I'm in my radiance and then I get more clients when I'm in my radiance so for me success is all about is my cup full am I feeling joyful am I feeling happy yeah am I feeling fulfilled so I would love to know how you define success too um if you want some support around this, we've got the inner circle and there may be a flash snail a flush snail. <laughs> I'm thinking of the S go, aren't I? There may be a flash sale coming up on the horizon to, to get into that. So keep an eye out on your email. Um, or if you like, just connect with me on Instagram at the private practice coach or on Messenger, in Facebook. Have a really beautiful day. You've got some homework now. Get your journal out. I want you to go and um, do that mini assessment or evaluation of your business. Look at what's going really well, where you're really, um, you know, um, winning, where you're really loving it, where you're feeling really fulfilled. And also have a look at the areas that um, could do with a little bit of TLC. And I want you to identify... Um, the beliefs that you hold around those areas. And from there, please go through and process those uh, and see what magic unlocks for you. And, yeah, if you want help with it, I will help you. Have a beautiful day. Bye. I hope that you loved this episode as much as I loved putting it together for you. To get more resources to help you in your private practice, head over to Instagram. My handle is at the private practice coach. And also, if you want more inquiries and referrals for your business, let me know. I have a program called Clients on Demand that opens every quarter, and I can absolutely get you some information for that as well. You are doing an amazing job. Thank you for sharing your gifts with the world. Bye.